That was lovely. Isn't it amazing seeing these young children singing? As today, as we reflect on the birth of Jesus, you know, we celebrate the birth of a child. And I think about it, you know, having a child's pretty special, isn't it? And I know that us as parents went many years thinking we'd never have children. Now we have four, and I wonder why. No. <laughs> No, I love them all four, but they're, they're a lot of work. <laughs> Wouldn't have it any other way. But I do know that, um, you know, some people struggle. They want children, and you're not blessed with children. But those that do have children, and you see how quickly they grow up. And seeing them sing up here, you know, it's, it's lovely. And uh, my youngest turned 11 this week. And, um, you know, it's like they're reaching that other level. They're still beautiful children, but they're not that cute little child, you know, that toddler, that, that kid, you know, one more year of primary school, and then I'll have four teenagers in high school, so it's a bit of a different phase, but you know, life is precious, life is wonderful, and as I begin today sharing um, the topic, I just want to really encourage us to reflect on our own lives, because life is pretty special, you know, and I've seen a lot of sickness and death even in the recent months. And I'm so glad that this world, we have hope. And we are singing and we are celebrating during this holiday season the reason we have hope. And that's worth celebrating. That's exciting. That is something that we really just need to remember because life is short. It sometimes seems quite long as we're going. You know, the days seem long. But man, as you get older, the years go quick. And you realize, is this all there is to life? Well, it's not all there is to life. There's much more to life. There's life for eternity for every single one of us. And that is because of what we're singing about today. That is what we celebrate around the world next Saturday. The birth of Jesus. You know, it's great to be a Seventh-day Adventist. You know, I like that name, really. You know, some people think, oh, it's a bit long. And sometimes people associate the word Seventh-day Adventist with things that are not accurate. But actually, I think we should be very proud or, or, or like our name because it says so much about who we are and what we're on about. And the word Adventist, you know, I like the, the first three letters of Adventist. What is it? Ad. Okay, because that's what we're on about. We're about adding people to God's kingdom. And so I love that part of ad and then ventist. So adventist is really, um, it's probably misusing the word a little bit, but it is um, meaning that um, Jesus is coming. Now, we often look at it as a second coming, but he came the first time, and that's what we're celebrating during this holiday season, Jesus' first coming, because that's made possible his second coming that we look forward to. Now, I often get words wrong, and Karen was <laughs> giving me a real um, tease this morning. And, um, and it was a revelation, okay? And, okay, you're allowed to laugh at me, okay? Because I don't mind. Because I don't mind being lowly. We're going to talk more about lowly is, but being humble. You know, I'm just a boy from Alabama. We speak a bit different in Alabama. And we say Bethlehem. 
And seriously, I always thought it was Bethlehem my whole life until this morning. And I argued with my wife <laughs> until finally we listened to a few songs and oh, it is Bethlehem, not Ham. So, hey, we never stop learning. But you know, it's just a language thing, isn't it? What language are we going to speak in heaven? Heavenly language. Will we have accents? I don't know. Did Jesus have an accent? You know, there's so many questions. And today is not about answering all our questions, but it's about really focusing on the person that does have the answers to all our questions. And, and last week, Karen introduced this um, with Mary's song. And I do want to... Let me see if this clicker is going to work. Just reflect on the text that she first... Whoops, not there. Go back, please. Go back, please. Thank you. Okay, so, you know, this is where in Mary's song, I'm going to have to turn around because I can't read that small print. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And Karen, you know, unpacked that song and, and, and how this ordinary, you know, really um, low-class woman was blessed with the Son of God. And as we continue to look at that, and we're going to focus on this word lowly. Well, what does lowly mean? You know, it is a kind of a, a funny word, but defined in the dictionary, it just says low in status or importance, or one word to really sum it up is humble. And so I want to ask you a question. Are you humble? And I guess it, it probably is a quality that I find quite easy. But I'm not a humble person all the time. Um, I am often have this conflict. It's an inner conflict where I can be really humble and empathetic, but then I can be angry and proud, you know, and I'm constantly in this battle. And I don't know if, what your battles are, but this is, this is my battle. And, and again, God just keeps bringing me to my knees. And as I look at my background and how God's led me through the years, it's only as I humble myself that I've got hope of what we all hope for, and that is eternal life forever. Because God's not going to save someone and take him to his kingdom if you're proud. Pride is really the root of evil. That's where it started in heaven. And I believe it's probably something we all struggle with. I certainly do, because it's human nature. And God's only going to save someone that's willing to surrender and humble, not 99%, but 100%. Okay? Because he's not going to risk it again. If there's a chance that sin's going to come back, you know, that's... We, we've got to surrender 100%. And I'm not saying that to scare us, but again, we don't do it because we're perfect and we earn it, but we do it because Jesus did it 100% for us and we just need to accept it and do it daily because again, pride will raise its ugly head. Okay, as soon as you start thinking, and this is where sometimes the word Seventh-day Adventist, I think we get in trouble because we get a bit of, oh yeah, we teach the Sabbath, we teach some great truths about Jesus' second coming, it's all in our name, and so therefore I've got this false security under a church name, which has nothing to do with my salvation, nothing, other than pointing us to Jesus and to the Bible. And so as soon as I start thinking that somehow my church is going to save me, 
I want you to relook at that. No, a church doesn't save you. Sure, we are a church about evangelizing and spreading the good news, but we're a church about drawing our community into a loving relationship with Jesus. It's that relationship with Jesus that it's all about. And so as we unpack this top topic of lowly and how Mary came into this earth, uh, sorry, brought Jesus into this earth at, a, at a, a, a really humble beginnings. And I just want to unpack that a little bit. I just want to talk about different social classes. So basically, you know, if you had three simple things, you'd have the upper class, the middle class, and the lower class. But I'm going to actually try to break that down in a little bit more detail. And here's just a graph that sh- kind of shows you. I think this is based on in America. But, um, you know, I'm sure it's probably pretty similar. You know, most people live in that middle class range. But... Um, as we look at this a bit closer, I just want to unpack and then look at the upper, upper class. So we're going to break both those classes into two categories. So you've got the upper, upper class, and then you've got the lower, upper class. And so the upper, upper class are people who are just born into wealth. And if you're a royal person in a royal family, well, you have no say. You're born wealthy. You're born with influence. You know, and there's other people who have uh, born into these other families. I just got a few examples. There'd be lots and lots of examples. So that's the upper, upper class. And then we have the lower upper class. And now these are people who are very extremely wealthy, but usually they've worked their way very hard. They've come from humble beginnings. You know, um, Elon Musk, you know, is one of the most popular ones now that's, uh, you know, kind of came from humble beginnings. You got other things, um, uh, Steve Jobs, who's no longer living, but he came from, you know, running a business in the garage to becoming one of the wealthiest people on this earth. You've got, um, Many, Bill Gates, um, you know, the, the list will go on and on. There's many people. And um, you're finding this class is actually growing. And um, I'm not getting into that topic today, but I really think that we're seeing, um, you know, the, the, the upper, these rich, the, the divide between the rich and poor becoming wider and wider. And I, I specifically believe that over the last two years with a pandemic is influencing and actually causing this more. But what I want to point out is then as we continue through this, we've got the upper middle class. And again, these are highly successful business people, people who run uh, CEOs of, of successful uh, businesses, um, people who you know, have the ability to take a vacation whenever they want and wherever they want. Of course, that's probably pre-COVID times. That's not such a freedom they have now. But... Um, they probably will get that again. We'll see. But, um, you know, they, they, they are very wealthy and, um, you know, not really struggling. And then you have the lower middle class. And this is probably more where, you know, as a church, I think, you know, we probably have people in different classes. But this is probably where a lot of people sit. You know, we've got um, uh, university degrees. We've got um, professions. And, um, you know, we're not... Um, we're not struggling too much. You know, we got food. We got roofs over our heads. We got, um, you know, working our way up to savings and investments and things. And um, that's, you know, not a bad place to be. Then we get into the upper lower. So getting into the upper lower. And this is where a lot of people are just, you know, living more hand um, to mouth. Um, just above the poverty line. And probably where most people who live in this country, Australia... Really, um, unless they have, you know, addiction problems or mental problems, really they, they, there's no reason to probably fall below this. But there are reasons that people do, and that brings in the very last, which is the um, lower, lower class. 
And so that one is those who kind of live below the poverty line, people who are homeless, you know, people who um, are struggling to uh, even find food to eat and a shelter over their, their head. Um, so the, these are the different classes. But what I want to present to you today is that when Jesus came into this world, he came in at the lower class. So Jesus came in. He's king of the universe. This is the person who spoke this world into existence, the person who's all-powerful, all-knowing, who, who knelt down and breathed the breath of life into that clay to create man, and he came and was born as a baby in poverty. He was born in a barn, in a feeding trough. I mean, this is Jesus. Is this the way people expected him? Well, most people didn't expect him to come that way. And here in Luke, he outlines, he says, The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. You know, that was great news. And that's the great news we still cling to. Jesus was born. Is that good news? Absolutely. And just like any baby, and we've had a few born in our church recently, and, and they are special. They are they, they are beautiful. They are wonderful. And, and every life's special. But of course, Jesus is actually the most special baby that was ever born because he was God who became man, the incarnate. He became a baby. He gave up his divinity and became a human being, a helpless babe. And he was born to Mary. And... Um, I just want to focus a little bit on Mary, and Karen covered a bit with Mary, but also, you know, Mary um, had a, uh, um, how was her and Elizabeth related? Cousins, yeah. So, because um, I know Jesus, anyway, um, Elizabeth uh, was the angel Gabriel came to Elizabeth and said, hey, you're going to have a baby. Now, Elizabeth is old. Her, her husband was a priest, Zechariah. And, uh, and they said, what? You know, we're too old to have children. We haven't been able to have children. You know, but this angel said they would. And so they had great faith. And sure enough, um, Elizabeth, in her old age, had the, the blessing of having a baby. And this baby was um, born and became known as John the Baptist. But when she was six months pregnant, then this same angel came to Mary and said to Mary, you're going to have a baby. And this baby's going to be really the baby of babies. This is the baby that John the Baptist was going to be to prepare the, the way for. And so these two women are so critical. And Karen, you know, kind of highlighted that often in history, women are overlooked and, you know, if you look at these Christmas stories, we look at the stories and we have the, the shepherds, you know, which we often relate as being men. Um, we have the three wise men. Uh, we don't know there's three, but there were three gifts, so we often say there's three wise men. But again, these are men. But I'd like to say these two wise women were so crucial to the beginnings of this amazing event, this event where God... God's plan of salvation was being fulfilled, was being played out here on this earth to save us all from the wretched, terrible results of sin. Now, she was so poor, and, and what would happen after a, a woman gave birth to a child, eight days after her birth, she had to go and um, offer an offering and um, 
this was a obeying what it said in Leviticus, and so this is what Mary did. But she was so poor, and if you were so poor, you weren't able to afford a lamb. So the poor people would take a, um, a young pigeons. So if a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. One will be for the burnt offering and the other for the purification offering. The priest will sacrifice them to purify her and she will be ceremonially clean. So, of course, this is pre-Jesus dying on the cross. This is back when you know, they had sacrifices. Jesus hadn't come yet. These sacrifices were a point to the real um, Savior, the, the Lamb of God that one day would come. But, but the point here I want to make is that uh, Mary was poor. She had to, to give the very least. She was lowly. She was humble. And it didn't change um, who she was and the impact she was able to make. And, um, you know, what uh, an amazing woman she was. And uh, we, we can all be grateful for that. Here, here's where it tells us in, in uh, oh, that was in Leviticus. Um, here in Luke, you go a couple chapters over. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, the blind will see, and the press will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favor will come. Now, this is, this is going down after Jesus has grown up. So the, the, there's a big gap. So we've got Christmas. We're celebrating Jesus' birth. We really don't know anything much about Jesus' life other than when he was 12, he went to the temple. And there he showed how he knew God's word, had this amazing knowledge that, that the people in the temple were like, whoa, how does this, this young man know all this? You know, at 12 years old. So that can be, you know, a bit of inspiration. None of us are, are the Son of God, but all of us have the Word of God, and we can feed on that and we can get to know because, because that really is, is the key to life. And I want to encourage us to be digging in God's Word. Today's topic is, is um, you know, from the book, The Advent for Kids, or, which is a, um, a, a basically a, a off the Advent book. And um, that's really what this service and this whole month we've been preaching through these topics in the Advent books. And we hope that you've had a chance to, to go through that as a family because this is opening God's Word. This is focusing on these stories that really are not just fairy tales. And nothing, you know, I'm not saying we shouldn't have fairy tales. You know, it's kind of nice to have imaginations and stuff. But actually, these are stories that are real. And, and, and scripture's real. And, and, you know, sometimes people have this idea that, that religion's all just a fairy tale. And often I've had people, you know, kind of say, oh, that, that religion, it's just, it, it's, it's, it, it's make, made up. And, and that's a great opportunity. I don't know if you ever have these opportunities with workmates or with friends or if your mom's maybe in playgroups and stuff where you have a chance to have conversations. And this is where we have the opportunity to really um, to open up people's minds because often these people just, because of what they've been fed, and it wasn't from God's word, they've been fed by man, this idea that this is all made up. Well, you know, I would, I would challenge you to kind of says that person, do you, do you, you don't think God exists? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why God exists. You know, give them some good reasons. What, what are some reasons that God exists? Well, you know, here, here's just a few things that, that I came up with because it's the best explanation I can think of why that um, any, anything really exists. You know, what other explanation is there? Well, there are other explanations, but to me it's the best. God is the best explanation of the beginnings of this world. 
Uh, it's the best explanation of all the historical facts of, of Jesus Christ, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. These things are, are historical facts. And if someone really researches it, I think they'll find um, that, hey, there is substance here. This isn't just something that's a fairy tale. This is real. You know, it's the best explanation of the um, objective um, morals and values we have as a society. And one of the things we see in our world is that, that um, you know, these morals and, and, and these values are being um, undermined and, and, and it leads to, to things that aren't good because man naturally turns to things that are evil, things that are not good. Uh, again, because of that thing I mentioned earlier, which raises its ugly head, pride. You know, and people just want to be about themselves. They want to be uh, rich and famous. You know, that seems to be most people's goal. Wow, I just love to be rich and famous. Well, you know, there's a lot of rich and famous people that are not happy, and that's not going to make you happy. You know, I'm not saying you shouldn't be rich and famous. Maybe you will be. Maybe you already are. Good on you. But if that's where your happiness is, you're not going to really be happiness because real happiness, real joy comes from knowing who we're talking about this season, and that's Jesus. That's real happiness. That's real joy. That's where it comes from. That's the source. You know, there's so many stories, and I continue to hear it. If you ever, uh, I don't watch a whole lot of, of news, but when I do watch the news, or especially if you watch some of the entertainment news, it seems to be one, you know, famous person after another that's having a crisis, having a marriage breakup, having uh, addiction problems with alcohol or drugs, and some even lose their lives because they've indulged in these substances. You think, well, they had fame and fortune. You know, why weren't they happy? Why were they turning to these other things? Because they don't feel that God-shaped hole that we all have in us. Only God can feel that. And when God feels that, then we are feeling like, hey, I have purpose. I know where I've come from. I know what I'm doing here. And I know where I'm going. This is what we want to help you do as a church. We want to be a church family that's drawing our community and a loving relationship with Jesus because he gives us purpose. He gives us a reason to live. And he gives us an eternal future. And this is such good news. So in this scripture I just read, uh, as Jesus got older, he fulfilled a prophecy. This was prophesied in Isaiah. And I actually have a, a list here, and I don't have time to go through a lot because there's a lot here. But you know, this is something I've had for many years called the, the Amazing Biography. And, and here's just a list of some. There's actually hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled when Jesus came. And here it, it tells these Old Testament Prophecies of when he, how he, his childhood, his life work, his, his trial, his death, his resurrection. And I've got some copies out on the desk if any of you want some of those. You know, take it and read some of them because this again is some of the things that gives us um, a reason to explain to people, hey, you know, there's, there's lots of things here that we can base our faith on that sure, it still takes faith, but we can still see that there's enough facts there that can give us confidence that we're not having uh, faith in something that doesn't have substance. And um, I, I just want to encourage us. The one thing I, I think as Christians that we often do wrong is that we, again, pride raises its ugly head because we start thinking we're better than someone else because they be don't believe in God or they uh, believe in evolution or whatever belief they have. Maybe it's another religion. And again, we've got to treat people 
in a humble way, a lowly way, and that's a way of not judging them, not saying I'm better than you, but sharing what I have, I think really has substance more than anything else this world has to offer. And so we need to do that the way Jesus would do it. And he did it perfectly. And here he fulfilled a prophet, uh, prophecy in Isaiah where he stood up and he said this. And, and this was a wow. You know, the people in the temple when he, he said this that knew the Bible, knew the prophecies, knew, hey, this is the Son of God. Those who were really uh, open, he was revealed. You know, has Jesus revealed himself to you? Do you really have complete confidence? Are you still questioning? Wherever you are on your journey, you know, that's okay. Questions are great. If we don't have questions, we don't get answers. If we can't um, look and investigate and and study, then we can't get um, uh, uh, enough knowledge to, to really help us to be able to really have that un swerving faith, that faith that, that nothing's going to uh, shake it. Uh, and there's, there, there's a shaking. There's lots of information out there that's going to uh, try to take you down the wrong track. And as we continue here um, in Luke chapter 6, um, it says this is um, when Jesus started his ministry. And let me just lead up to that. You know, Jesus... Um, once he was baptized by John the Baptist, and um, you know that was the beginning of his ministry. That was a key point uh, in history. And, and John the Baptist baptized Jesus as he saw uh, his cousin, uh, or second cousin it would be if Elizabeth and, and um, Mary were cousins. So his second cousin. Um, as he sees his second cousin there, he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus wants him to baptize him. And he says, No, you, you know, you, you shouldn't baptize me. I shouldn't baptize you. You should baptize me. And I often really find that insightful because here is a cousin who has known Jesus since he was a little boy. They would have played together. They would have spent many times together over the years. I don't know what it would be like to have a a cousin that was perfect, but I think it would be a little bit of a struggle at times. And I'm sure there would be lots of stories that we know nothing about where Jesus took the perfect way, whatever way that was. When there was arguments, when there was fights, Jesus was always doing it in a loving, humble way. And it wasn't until John was older and a man, he was baptizing people, that he fully recognized that. And when he saw Jesus coming, you know, he had no doubt who Jesus was. And to me, what what great evidence, what what great testimony that is to that Jesus is truly who he claims to be. And that is good news. And so this Jesus, as he finishes that baptism... And uh, straight away, the Bible tells us he went into the wilderness and uh, he was tempted. And that's a crucial time as he comes out of that. He resists. He, he knows Scripture. He uses the, the power of Scripture and the Holy Spirit to give him, uh, uh, to help him overcome temptation the same way we should because all of us are tempted. You know, and, and just, just think about some of those temptations. You know, that temptation of turning a, a rock to bread, I've often thought, well, what's so tempting about that? Well, if you haven't had bread for 40 days, you're on the verge of death. You know, it's a pretty big temptation. 
And I often say, well, if it was me, you know, he'd probably tempt me to turn it into a Cinnabon, you know. Uh, that, that would be a pretty big temptation. But, you know, that's the sort of a, you know, ooh, my mouth's watering just saying it. So, you know, we're not talking about turning into some plain ball bread. We're talking about food, substance, something that's desirable, something you want more than anything. Yet, Jesus resisted. Not because of his flesh, but because of the spirit. And that too is how we resist temptation. If we rely on our flesh and our own efforts, we can only go so far, we will fail. It's only by relying on the spirit. That's how Jesus actually lived the perfect life. Because he had the perfect relationship with the Holy Spirit who gave him power day by day to live a lowly life, to live a humble life. And succeed in his mission of being the perfect substitute for us. That is great news. And so, as Jesus left the wilderness, he then started his ministry and he had his disciples who followed him. And he says this, and this is really for us as well. He says, God blesses you who are poor for the kingdom of God is yours. God blesses you who are hungry now, for you will be satisfied. God blesses you who weep now, for in due time you will laugh. You know, I don't know about you, you know, at times we have problems. Maybe it's financial problems. Maybe it's problems with sickness. You know, there's plenty of that. I know that our prayer list here in this church is pretty long right now. I know of quite a few who are in hospitals suffering very um, bad illnesses, very life-threatening things. But I do know ultimately, as it says here in this, that God will get you through. He'll bless you now. And in due time, you will laugh. And I don't think that's a, not a laughter in a disrespectful way. This is laughter in, in a joyful way. Joy to the world way that we have overcome whatever this world throws at us. Whatever the financial problems, whatever the, the health struggles, whatever the, the loss of life that we've experienced... God's going to bring joy, and that is good news. And I'm so thankful that during this holiday season, we can remember Jesus. Let's go to the next slide, please. My clears are not working. Oh, that was it. That's telling me it's time to finish. I didn't want to go long today because sometimes the shorter message is better, they tell me. So I'm learning. I can be long-winded at times, but I just want to bring it back to what's important. Where it really the rubber meets the road, and that is that each of us has a Savior that came the first time as an innocent little baby, born in poverty, in the most lowly circumstances, he had no great golden cradle. He was in a feeding trough. Most people didn't recognize him. But he was the gift that had been promised for thousands of years. And now today, in December 18, 2021... We live in a pretty crazy world, but we look back to that innocent baby that was born. And we see what that baby became. 
And we see what that baby ultimately did. And what man ultimately did to that baby, and he didn't deserve it, is he became a man and he died on the cross. And he didn't deserve to die. You and I did because we're the sinners. But he did it for us. He's theirs, our substitute. He's theirs, our servant. Jesus came to serve. And he did the ultimate service act when he gave his life. And I want to close with an illustration. It's one of my favorites, I guess, as I preach through the years. I've used it many times, but I love it. And I did a little research on it. It's probably not true. Some say it was Einstein, but anyway, I won't say any particular name. It's just a scientist. And this scientist was very, very clever. And this scientist, you know, he knew all about the physics and the the, the neurons and neutrons and all these things. And he was going around the country in America, traveling from university to university, giving these lectures. And this, this um, scientist had a chauffeur that was driving him from one location to the next. And it went on for you know, week after week. And, and the chauffeur was joking with him one day. He says, mate, I've heard you give your lectures so many times. I reckon I could do it myself. And, and the, the scientist kind of laughed. He says, no, nah, you couldn't. Oh, I could. He insisted. So he says, okay, I'll give you a chance. And so I get the next venue. And the chauffeur puts on the scientist's coat. And the scientist puts on the chauffeur's coat. And they switch places. And sure enough, that chauffeur gets in front of the audience. And he starts lecturing on these neutrons and protons and their interactions and, and all this scientific stuff. And he does it brilliant. They don't know that he's a chauffeur. And it's all over. And he thinks, oh, I made it through that. Yeah, now I can go. And, and, and they, someone stops him before he leaves the stage. He says, wait, wait, we do like here at, at this place to give people a chance to ask a questions. <laughs> and suddenly the chauffeur gets a bit nervous and he starts to sweat really hard. And sure enough, someone stands up and they, they ask this really complicated question. He has no idea. And he looks down. And then he looks up and he smiles. He says, mate, that, that, that question is so simple. I'm going to let my chauffeur in the back answer it for you. <laughs> Folks, that's what Jesus does for us, you know. We don't know anything. He's the ultimate. He knows the end from the beginning. He's the creator of all things. And he's there as our substitute. He's there as, as our um, um, sacrifice, our servant. He's serving us in heaven even now as we speak today. And so I just ask as we close today that, that we can all, each one of us, be lowly. And it doesn't matter what your financial status. I'm sure we have people here that are different levels of those, you know, upper class, middle class, or lower class. It doesn't matter where you are. The important thing is where is your heart? And your heart is need to be humbled, humbled to Jesus. And so whether you're blessed with lots of possessions or little possessions, that all you have, you give to the glory of God. And the most important thing we have is who we are. And so may we all, over this Christmas period, be people who are lowly serving others as Jesus did. And people then can see Jesus in us and through us. And so I end with a birthday celebration invitation I want to give to everyone here today. And this one is this. The guest of honor at this birthday celebration is Jesus Christ. It's one week from today. And um, it's um, open to everyone. And what do you need to wear? Whatever. You can wear anything. The tickets are free. 
Everything's provided. You don't even need to bring a present. Just bring yourself. And it's all there. And the most important thing is that you do need to reserve your spot. You need to RSVP. And you need to do that by one thing. And that is by being lowly enough to say, Lord, I humbly admit I'm a sinner. I don't care how smart I am or how wealthy I am or what I've done, accomplished in my life. There's nothing I can do to earn me eternal life. I lowly, humbly bow before you and ask you to forgive me my sins and come into my life and come into my heart. And may I live for you each day, day after day, until one day you're going to come and take us home. Let's pray together. Dear Jesus, I pray that every person here will accept that invitation. What that means to each person is something different because we're all at different phases in our life. We're all facing different challenges. But Lord, you know everything. You know every person here. You knew us before we were even born. You know what's happening in our families. You know what's happening in our workplaces. You know what's happening with our friends. You know the influences that are, are, are impacting us, that are making us make decisions sometimes that we shouldn't be. Lord, may we rely on your power, the power of your spirit, the spirit that helped Jesus overcome that amazing temptation there in the wilderness at his weakest point. You too will help us to overcome however strong a temptation as you promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And Lord, I just pray that you know whatever habits or addictions might be also um, pushing you away and keeping us from being the people you want us to be. Lord, again, may you give us victory. May you give us the power through your Spirit. May we stop relying on our flesh, but surrender to you. Come into our hearts, dear Jesus, and thank you that through that you can help us to be overcomers and ultimately give us the free gift of eternal life with you and your kingdom. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.